Welcometh to the Bareth Naked ABCs, wherefore we payeth homage to the muses Thalia and Yaterpe, to aid us in providing a showeth yond entertains, as break with, explore, and debate each Bareth Naked Lady's song in the order that followeth the al- alphabet. I am Tracy, and forsooth is... Yea, tis I, Aaron. And tis I... Miss Michelle, <laughs> here from my own kingdom. <laughs> Is this a microphone I see before me? <laughs> what say you, traveler? Do not bite us your microphone. <laughs> I do not bite my microphone at you, sir, but I do bite my microphone, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so as the orb arises to lighten the darkened landscape, <laughs> we break with the entire album as you like it. So, tonight we'll be actually dealing with a whole album, the As You Like It album, which is a studio album, but was devised for and as a recording of the uh, music composed by Steven and arranged by the band, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, the band was approached, I'm going to mess his name up horribly here. Mark Antony? Not Mark Anthony, no. <laughs> and Tony Simolino, the executive director of the Stratford Festival. Mm. And the Stratford Festival runs from April to October yearly. It is in Stratford, Ontario. And many great Canadian, British, and American actors have done it. It first started in October 31st, 1952. And... Sir Alec Guinness, one of the people I highly admire, spoke the first lines of the first play that they did there for the Stratford Festival in 1953, doing Richard III. So, the band was approached by Antony to to do this show. Uh, they were setting As You Like It in the Summer of Love in 1969. And Stephen did the composition, the band arranged and played, and Stephen taught the actors how to do this because the band was not there for the whole summer when they were doing this. They did the recording, they played the recording, and left it there for, for them to play on every night, but the actors were the ones that provided the voices and the singing for every show thereafter, except the first night, the, Steve and the band were there live. Wow. Um, unlike other plays of the time... As You Like It's song lyrics um, are key to the role development of the show, and they convey new information in the show. Um, Bobby and I, who Bobby, who's absent this week, uh, Bobby and I have talked about this many a time when we discuss musical theater, how a lot of musicals, the music doesn't add to the show, it doesn't provide anything new, it just kind of relates what's already happening. This is play by Shakespeare has the most music of any of his shows and also does what a lot of his other shows don't which is builds new information into the songs so they are a vital part of the play itself. Anthony chose BNL because he said that they were appealing and contemporary. They have melodic lines that are both joyous and profoundly sad and they have a clear focus on the words and their wit and energy are positively Shakespearean. I would agree. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take. I like it. I loved the album. I just, I 
had never heard it before because obviously it was only available at the festival but oh yeah what a treat what a treat to listen to i feel like it's the bare naked ladies that i want to listen to now you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it suits my life now i was i've been listening to it all week but today i was doing some work on the computer and it's not to say that it's background music but i was able to work and just have it on the background and it was sort of it just made the experience so much nicer i i i loved it and i'm happy that it's available to listen to on youtube um it's beautiful i agree i really wish that i could have caught this live i try and do as many things and experience as many things as i can one of my great uh regrets is that i was when i was in new york once i i was trying to catch shakespeare in the park and i think it was um it was like the Merchant of Venice and Al Pacino was in it, but I didn't get wow. tickets. Really, really, really wanted to. Um, but wow, yeah, what, I would have loved to have seen this, especially that first night when BNL were actually there. That would have been great. So, have either of you guys ever seen or watched, read this play prior to us coming to this week? Not I. Not the play. Isn't there a movie with Kenneth Branagh, though? Kenneth Branagh had directed a a version of the play, I want to say in the 2000s somewhere. I saw a Shakespeare movie, and for some reason I thought it was As You Like It, but it was with Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh. Um, And I saw it at Railroad Square Cinema back a hundred years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Now, I've I've read... I I can't think of which one it is, but you're right, yes. It's it's not As You Like It, it's the other one. Yeah. Is it Twelfth Night? Might be Twelfth Night. Let me pull up IMDB here. Yeah, I wish I could remember which one it is. I've read The Tempest. Or or Much Ado About Nothing, that's what it was. Yeah, Much Ado About Nothing, Taming of the That's what it was. Romeo and Juliet. So maybe I've not seen As You Like It. <laughs> I did recognize some of the lyrics. I think I may have had like an assignment where I had to recite some of this in my one of my English classes in high school because it was a lover and his last. That was like there's something about that definitely struck a chord with me. I think that uh, that was familiar to me from from decades past. <laughs> mm. I loved Stephen singing If Music Be the Food of Love. Yeah, on. Just his emotion in it, and it just was so velvety and just like such an open and honest expression of emotion. It was so good. I just, I love this album, and I feel like this is going to be my new go-to. This is what I'm going to put on to get through the day, Um, because I'm not a young lass. I'm no longer a young lass in my 20s who thrives on passionate emotions i'm a dried up old hag and i just want something nice to listen to so i think this is going to do it for me it still gives me a little bit of a stirring but not so much that i have to ruin my life over it so it's nice (laughs) (laughs) you ladies out there know what i'm talking about Not only did I read the play for, for tonight, I also, I'd never heard of this play until I, I was researching for this show um, to try to start putting together the list of like all the things BNL has done. Mm. And I came across this and I'm like, wow, that's actually kind of amazing. I, in my younger years, I would have totally skipped over this anyways, in, you know, when I was first coming to BNL um, with my age, you know, I, I did not thoroughly enjoy 
uh, Shakespeare. I do half blame that on the teachers that exposed me to the wrong Shakespeare and, and having read more of the Shakespeare that meets my interests, um, I do have a lot more connection to this one. Um, and I find it much more interesting, but I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it. So then I, I pulled up the Kenneth Branagh movie. There is also a Laurence Olivier movie, um, that was done much longer ago. I want to say in the seventies, but so I, I did watch the Kenneth Branagh one, which has a cast of amazing talent. Um, you have Brian Blessed and, and nice. Dallas Bryce Howard as the lead role of Rosalind. Oh, um, I didn't really? recognize the lead for Orlando, but you you have a number of other people. So Jacquees is played by Kevin Co- uh, Kevin Costner. Oh my God, no, Kevin Klein. <laughs> oh, he um, must have been great. He was. He was. I bet he was great. Because he plays that bittersweet kind of role, that uh, sweet and sour kind of role that uh, you get with Jacquees. Um, and we can get into more of the characters and stuff later on um, when I do a que- a brief. Uh, run through of the show but uh Jacquees is kind of the the sad melancholy character which reminds me a lot of steve so when when the uh when anthony was saying that he likes this band because they do have that that nice mixture of joyous and melancholy totally it <laughs> definitely reminds me of steven, bnl because that's this and and steven in particular steven's like me he's the frowny clown that's why we love him. <laughs> I am also the frowny clown. <laughs> frowny clown club. <laughs> frowny angry clown. Yeah. I will give myself okay. that. I have some rage issues, but I think it's with the the ginger genes that happens. <laughs> Whatever. So did either of you happen to watch the movie that, that went with this episode? No, I didn't. I came sort I just got sucked into the album. I just went on a journey with it. I didn't even. No, I would very much like to. No, 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 that's okay. Um, I just don't want to bore the, the listeners too much. I'm going to kind of walk through the play a little bit so, the, so that people are kind of recognize what the play is. Please do. Uh, so that way, and, and as we go through the music, because I'd like to go through, through song by song, um, as we go through, I'm going to try to place it with where it belongs, as I can see within the show, because um, it's not written anywhere um, after an extensive search of the internet on how this lines up with the play. But in order to understand that, you need to understand what the play is. Let me do a real quick, brief, well, hopefully brief synopsis of this very uh, confusing play. You know, in terms of critiquing the plays, I do enjoy the play, but it is, it's a five-act play that could have easily been condensed down to a three- or four-act play. (laughs) The first two to three acts are actually just set up for what happens in the fourth and fifth act, which is really what we're there to kind of watch and see. And fourth and fifth acts could have been much more expounded upon and made more humorous. And I feel he does that in other ones where he makes the the farce of the play happens in acts four and five. And it's the build up to that, which takes so long. But when it comes down to it, it's very interesting. And the themes are very interesting at the same time. So this is the story. Duke senior rules. One of the great dukedoms of France and he is usurped by his brother, Frederick. They have a sole female heir each. Duke Sr. is then banished and goes into exile in the forest of Arden, France, with many of his noblemen. However, Frederick allows Rosalind, who is Sr.'s daughter, to stay because his own daughter, Celia, and she are closer than sisters. Another family in the dukedom, the Du Bois, 
have lost the patriarch of the family. The eldest son, Oliver, inherits all of the money except a thousand coins and is used to take care of the younger brothers. He does that with the middle child, but treats the youngest one, Orlando, who is the male lead of the play, as a servant and gives no education to him. All of this happens before the show starts. <laughs> this isn't even the show start. <laughs> Jump ahead many years, Orlando, the beginning of the play is Orlando confronting his brother and fighting with his brother, who agrees to leave him with a paltry amount of inheritance and then let him leave altogether. However, he plots behind his back to have him killed during a wrestling match. At the wrestling match, Orlando briefly, and I mean very briefly, like probably about one page of dialogue, meets Rosalind, and they fall in love. One of my problems with with many of Shakespeare's plays, people fall in love within sight of each other. Their eyes meet across a crowded room, and that's all it takes. Oh, come on. It does. It you does. Guys, it's you very guys, young love. Like me, you were young ones. <laughs> yes, it's, it is young. That's all it takes. There, uh, it's all it takes is one. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys ever see Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? I mean, oh, everybody yeah. has probably read the book, but the scene. Oh my God! The scene in the elevator with Hunter S. Thompson and his oh, attorney, yeah. and his attorney see, has seen this beautiful woman. He's like, you know, they're on drugs and everything. And he's like, <laughs> she fell in love with me, man. We made eye contact. Like that's the, uh, totally yeah. <laughs> yes. Who has not had that? <laughs> like he's totally irrational, but he's totally deadly serious too. Yeah. So there it is. Shakespeare proves <laughs> it. <laughs> if Shakespeare said it, it has to be true. That's true, yeah. So following the match that Orlando wins, Rosalind is banished from the dukedom by the duke. In a fit of rage due to his impetuousness and his paranoia, once again, the duke, the Duke Frederick is just as quick-tempered as a lot of characters that are villains in Shakespeare's plays. Celia decides to run away as well. Because of the threat of death that's on Rosalind, she dresses as a man, and Celia dresses as a shepherdess. They escape to Arden, which is where Duke Sr. is. Orlando's brother is going to burn down Orlando's house with Orlando in it, so Orlando goes into exile also in Arden. Orlando starts writing poetry of love about Rosalind on the trees, which Rosalind finds, but is now now hidden as Ganymede. She meets Orlando in disguise, convinces him that love is foolish, and that she's going to cure him of love. Actually, it's Act 3. This is where things should be taking off, and we should get more of it, and it it stultifies for a little while. So therefore, I'm just going to speed through the rest of this. Rosalind plays a man trying to convince Orlando to fall in love with Rosalind, because she doesn't believe that Orlando's love is true. She thinks it's just (laughs) a quick fancy. Mm. Touchstone, who is the court jester that follows Celia and Rosalind into Arden as well, falls in lust, but wants to get married to get sex. Oliver shows up, which is the older brother of Orlando, but he changes his colors because Orlando saves him and falls in love with Celia. Another couple I'm not even going to get into makes Rosalind's situation even more complicated. So eventually, Act 5 is a marriage ceremony. Rosalind unveils herself to both her father and to Orlando. Four couples get married, and the Duke randomly, for some reason, gives over his dukedom back to his brother. The end. So, <laughs> the end. It's, it is not Shakespeare's best work. It is hurried. He could. I, I get the feeling like 
like some of Shakespeare's plays that he was writing this really quickly because he had to fulfill a need and gets this was one of those ones he just stuck in there very fast and didn't go back and fix and maybe it was a commissioned piece and it just needed to be done and he wasn't into uh, it how can I write the most ridiculous piece of writing I can these fools are going to pay me 50 crowns or whatever if I remember now I think this is where all the world of stage calls comes from this is the show where all all the world's a stage comes from and it's actually from Jacques so there's some good there's some quality stuff in there oh there is so this play is actually based off an old myth called Rosalind as well so Mm. I like I think I think you're right Michelle that probably it was a commissioned Mm -hmm. piece someone said write me a play about Rosalind and and he kind of had to hurry it um but yeah there's some really great pieces in here the uh, so all the stuff that Stephen sings is actually Shakespeare Shakespeare writes all the lyrics that yeah. that Stephen sings on this album, and then he just adds the music in, and so all the music is just poetic. It's beautiful. Oh, I recommend everybody run to YouTube and listen to this. You're gonna love it. It's a it's a demand. You can actually hear the dynamic pentameter. Yes. In the lyrics, it's so good. It's so good. I um I was shocked. I. I remember when this was happening and I thought, oh, that would be cool to go to this festival and see them. Like, I remember hearing it sort of peripherally out in the periphery and kind of thinking, oh, that'd be cool to go. And then, of course, I never thought anything of it and mm. missed it and all of that stuff. But um, I'm so glad to be hearing it now. It's so good. The ones especially where he is actually singing is just mm. phenomenal. Yes. I, I can't think of another word to kind of put with it. And the harmonies are really nice. Yeah, they are. They're be- they are just. Oh yeah, the yeah vocal harmonies were great. Obviously, like we could talk about the the poetry, but the poetry is Shakespeare. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could talk about the lyrics all you want, but you'll be, you'll be talking about Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't even really pay that much. I mean, I did like the music is the food of love, as I've mentioned. That really stood out to me, just the way he sort of. I don't even have the word for it, but it just kind of came out. And it was just like a magic carpet ride or just this, <laughs> like, uh, th- like it was a beautiful sunny Sunday and you're in a little boat on a river and you're just sailing along in the smooth flow of the river. You know what I mean? It was just such a, it, the sound was really picturesque, if you can say that. Yeah. No, it matches up really well with the lyrics of, of that oh, song so as nice. well. Here's, here's the weird thing about that song. It's the only one that's on this album. I half wonder if they actually put it in the show because it's actually not in the show. Interesting. It's actually well, not. It's on the album, and I'm guessing that it was in the performance, but it's not a song that's in As You Like It written by Shakespeare. It actually comes out of Twelfth Night. Right. Interesting. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure why Stephen chose to do that, because it's interesting in an in interview that he was doing to kind of promote this on CBC uh, before the, the show premiered. He was like, I haven't changed a thing. And I'm like, wait, yeah, you have. You, you brought a whole <laughs> other song. And not that I'm complaining. It's a beautiful song. But you, you did change the show. <laughs> I guess it's all Shakespeare, though. So yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Thematically appropriate, and, I thought it fit very well. Oh yeah, and he doesn't change the lyrics. Um, or if, if he changes the lyrics, it's only dressing. 
Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's there's one song in there where we'll go through where he he takes out certain lyrics or he takes out the the chorus at certain times, but it's it's just dressing. It's just making it sound pretty. Mm. Fun fact: so I was just looking at the song list, and I think that when I was in high school in Magical Choir, I think we did a version of "Blow Blow the Winter Wind," or maybe it was at music camp. I don't know, but somewhere, "Blow Blow the Winter Wind." has been sung by me at some point with a group of people. But yeah, these are all... I mean, they've been covered by a number of bands in the past as well, if you looked them up online. How do you guys feel about maybe walking through the album step-by-step here with what we have? Yeah, sure. Sure. All right. And Aaron, I'll I'll, uh, I'll kind of feed into you for any of the musical... We might lean on you a lot tonight because because you're our musical whiz here. Pretty much like... It's going to be hard to, to eat into the, the Shakespeare piece of it, so... Yeah. <laughs> the first song is In the Orchard, which is an overture. It's a very mm-hmm. short overture for an overture. Yeah, it's like th- it's like 30 seconds, right? Yeah. I didn't have a lot of notes on it. And it's, it's actually the instrumental, or very close to the instrumental, of Under the Greenwood Tree. Mm. I happened to pick up on that. Oh, yeah, you're right recurring theme yeah which a lot of it's, pr- it's programmatic that's what i love about it and i love programmatic music i mean you see that a lot with like you know andrew lloyd weber and, yes and, yeah you know all those people tim rice you know they steven sondheim to... yeah yep sondheim so. <laughs> they like to do that like let's come back to this theme over and over again it's great i love that yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely adds to the play, and the idea is that you're going to, you know, it's very um, Peter and the Wolf, and that you're, mm-hmm. you recognize that person entering because mm-hmm. those those ideas. Yeah, and the, he light, doesn't, the light motifs. Yeah, and he doesn't dive into it as much here as, he, as other people and other composers do, but you can see it a little bit with this piece here. What were your thoughts on this, Aaron, on this piece? Uh, well, I didn't write down specific thoughts about everything. What I did was kind of just wrote down freeform my thoughts on the album as a whole and a few of the standout tracks. Uh, certainly, okay. you know, I enjoyed the overture, but as we said, it's, it's very short. I think re- what, really what it's doing is just kind of setting up everything and kind of putting a, a sting on the beginning and uh, putting the stamp on the, the production. The next song on the album and i believe in the show i think this i i'm just gonna say it now and kind of not repeat myself later i think that the order that we see it on the album that's online and mm-hmm. i've seen it in a couple places online now i think that the order is the same as what they did during the show i believe so um that that would be my guess so the next song on the album is a lover and his last carol they began that hour with the hay and a hoe and a hay Best song on the album. Now, interestingly <laughs> enough, the the song itself comes from Act Five, Scene Three. So again, I would guess that this is Stephen taking that song that's later on in the play that kind of sums up what this whole play is about and putting it at the very beginning. It's almost like. In the Orchard and Lover and His Last is actually the full overture to kind of to wet your whistle mm. to this play. Well, I think it also puts kind of a modern spin on it because you talked about, you know, musicals. You talked about, like, Andrew Lee Weber and such. 
uh, you see that a lot in modern musicals where there's a reprise at the end of uh, one of the earlier songs. And that's what we have here. Of course, they come back to it. Um, Hamilton. Yeah. (laughs) For me, this was the standout tune. I mean, along with the reprise, to me, that seems like the intent. Like this, this to me is such a great, it's very catchy. Uh, it's still in my head. It's, it, this is a song that legitimately I would go and seek out and want to listen to. Like I I'm, would love to have a copy of this album so I could you know play this on request. I don't think it's on Spotify or anything. No, but I can get you a but copy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I, you know, I love this song in particular. Uh, it reminds me kind of of the Beach Boys with the airy vocal harmonies. And even mm. maybe a little bit of Jellyfish, which is one of my favorite bands ever. And probably my absolute favorite power pop band, if you can classify them thusly. They have these beautiful harmonies. Jellyfish is sort of like Queen meets Rush. <laughs> They're like progressive anthem art pop rock. But uh, What's not to love about that? I mean, come on. Yeah, if you haven't heard them, go check out Jellyfish. They only put out two albums, but they're both fantastic. But anyways, uh, this kind of reminded me of them. With I love the the airy kind of bendy vocals, and the, the harmonies were great. The Hey Nani Nani's reminded me of Robin Hood Men in Tights, and I know that comes directly from <laughs> Shakespeare, but it just kind of made me chuckle. Uh, but I love this tune. It's it's still in my head. It's still, I love the bass line and the bouncy bass and the, the drums and... I just everything about it to me is uh, it's legitimately a good song on its own. It stands up and is a fantastic tune. Well, it's interesting you said that part about the Robin Hood, yeah. Because the the whole point of this this play, as a matter of fact, I almost want to say that in the beginning, it is written in the liner notes by Shakespeare that the the idea of this is it's supposed to have a robin hood feel that these mm. are people that have gone into the wilderness and are behaving yeah, as robin hood and many people who are critiquing this play once again said duke senior's group is very much supposed to be a robin hood-esque group of people so i think that that ma- matches the the music as well as the words very nicely michelle what was your thoughts on on lover and last i liked it i get, i will say i didn't i went on a totally different journey with this album um i just took it as a big chunk and just sort of went with Mm. it so i didn't even really i mean i could tell the difference between the songs obviously and you know like i definitely like aaron said noticed the harmonies which were just lovely gorgeous um but i didn't kind of break it down song by song i just went with the mood of the whole piece and i just loved it so i don't other than if music be the food of love nothing really jumped out at me tremendously but again i wasn't breaking it down for that i just went with the whole thing and just took it as an experience i don't have a lot of breakdown but i i i do love this whole album as a whole which was really nice because who does that nowadays for me it was a whole different way of listening and i just loved it that's why I love concept albums, and I'm going to reference Pink Floyd a little later, and this kind of reminds me of early Pink Floyd, not the mm. later Pink Floyd, but we'll talk about that when we get to the track. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out two quick things with this song uh, that, that are important. So this is the song I was talking about earlier where Stephen did adapt it a little bit. He cuts out the with a hey and a ho and the hey na ni na on verse two and verse three, and then combines verse two and verse three into a verse two, so mm. it changes pattern. Which Steve likes to change patterns up, anyways. And I don't feel it's disrespectful when he does it here. I think it works really well. And then in verse 
what should be verse four comes back as verse three. He brings back the Hey Nani Nas again. Mm-hmm. The other part that I really loved about the song, it starts off very gentle, very folksy, very pastoral. Mm-hmm. And then each verse adds in. It builds, yeah. Yeah. So like the next verse, has it builds in with the rocking beat. The next verse builds in with the guitars. And I just, I love how he's doing that. And I love music that does that in general. Well, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the the kind of uh what's the word like euphoric climaxes <laughs> that sounded way too freudian <laughs> euphoric <laughs> musical climaxes crescendos uh there's a song by elliot smith called stupidity tried which is a great one like the entire song builds up to it or like uh, halfway home by tv on the radio but any of these songs were like you get like four minutes in and there's this moment and you feel like the entire song has been building to it. Or even uh, Phil Collins on the drums and in the air tonight. You know, there are these moments yes. that just everything comes together. And that definitely happens in this track where it just adds and adds and adds. And suddenly it's this full-blown, like, bouncing rock song where it started off, like you say, very, very simple acoustic guitar and voice. And beautiful. I love it. It's absolutely great. Yeah. So then we come to the party. <laughs> So I think that any of the instrumentals that we're going to find, most of them are going to be interludes between scenes uh, or they're going to that was... be background music for the people to be right over, you know, speaking over. Uh, I think this is more of an interlude to kind of set us up with the feel of the next uh, scene, which is kind of portraying Duke Ferdinand and mm-hmm. Oliver. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen if there's a recording of this. I really desperately want to, but in my head... They were sort of like rotating the stage pieces around and changing the scenery. Like the stage hands were doing that during this or whatever. That kind of felt like it was uh, appropriate to kind of be music during a scene change or setting up, as you say, for the next scene. So this song is a lot harsher. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, Aaron. Maybe you could describe it better. It just, it almost has. I don't know. I felt like it had like a grunge-like feel. It just had that heart, heavier electric guitar, and. To me, the the thought that came to me when I was listening to it, and it may just be because of what's going on right now, what just was on TV, it had a feel of when Judas takes the stage on Jesus Christ Ooh, Superstar. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, um, very astute, sir. I think yeah, there was definitely there was some there was some dissonance in this song. There was some feedback. It was kind of noisy. And I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because I'm not sure. Again, I'd love to see what was actually happening on stage during this. But, uh, you know, you hear with the track like title like The Party, uh, it could be anything, you know. And I, I think that I'm not sure what the interpretation of this was. Uh, was it a classical interpretation or was it uh, as far as, you know, the stage performance itself? Or is it some, it somewhat was, updated or contemporary? It was very Our Town-ish. Mm. Um, in that it was very simplistic and mm-hmm. minimalistic. Um, they had ladders on the stage mm. um, that were meant to be used as well as kind of as the the to set up spots on the stage. Uh, but as I understand, it was very very minimalistic. Mm-hmm. So that and I don't believe there were many scene changes at all with this this version of it. So interesting. Um, I place this song somewhere, if I've got In the Orchard and Lover in His Last as kind of the intro to the whole show as as our beginning, mm-hmm. this I think was kind of following up with that to kind of set us up to feel with that fight between Oliver and Orlando 
that happens right off the bat. I want to say that this kind of was behind that, or it was as uh, Duke Ferdinand started confronting people. Then we're followed up with If Music Be the Food of Love, which is the one that you absolutely (laughs) love, Michelle. If music be the food of love, play on. Give me excess of it that's surfeiting. I loved it. I loved it. It was like velvet. It just... You know, that sort of like, it was like a sigh. It was like a summertime sigh. And you just are so happy and nothing has happened yet, but everything is potential and full of possibility in front of you. And it just is like magic. And that's what it sounded like. He totally conveyed that in his voice. And that's why I love Stephen Page. I agree, though, Michelle. Ironically, this could very much be something that's emblematic of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Just that whole like, (laughs) just the way he it just comes off of his, you know, he just sings it and it's beautiful. And it just... And Jim Jim is playing this beautiful deep cello mm. like a violin in the background. Yes. It's just gorgeous. And, and so and, that mo- that mood just sort of carried through the rest of the music for me and I just it put me in my happy place. The, I agree with you completely, Michelle, which is why I put this song at the very beginning when we first meet Rosalind. I think this is this is a Rosalind song, the Rosalind kind of theme that we're mm. supposed to kind of connect in with. She is, I, interestingly enough, the lead of the show. Everything centers around Rosalind. Yep. Orlando is almost a secondary character in many ways. And this is one of those plays that would pass the Bechdel test in that everything centers around Rosalind and even the male characters are talking about Rosalind and her but mom. it's about her relationship with him though that is true although so it wouldn't necessarily are there two women talking about something that's not a man that's the test oh yes there are there are times that two <laughs> women are talking together about something that is not a man but not for the whole thing but not for the whole thing no we it's close but i would it's say close, well but... that that passes the test and certainly for shakespeare's time that's pretty progressive <laughs> yeah. for shakespeare's time yes except that the woman was played by a man <laughs> yeah probably but that's a whole nother story no that's progressive too <laughs> because at the end it, part of the the epilogue speech that's given only by Rosalind. Rosalind finishes this whole show by just being the only person on stage and talking to the audience directly. And one of her lines is, well, if I were to be a woman and if I were to find men attractive. <laughs> and that's kind of that nice well, little nod as I'm like, well, I'm actually just a man wearing, wearing clothing because I'm an actor. And if you ever do get a chance to watch the movie with Dallas Bryce Howard. Oh, I bet she's great. Watch it all the way through the credits because they do do the epilogue after the credits. And it's worth it. I bet she's excellent. She is. Everyone in the play does an amazing job. The only problem I have with that that version is they decide to take it out of France and place it in in um, colonization level Japan. Oh, really? And I'm like, that. Uh, it's an interesting. interesting idea, but they don't do anything to change it up. And so it doesn't really work. It's just in another place. Yeah. So, anyways, I got us way off topic. 
So the fo- the song after that is another instrumental. Mm-hmm. It's Rosalind in Orlando. It's a three minute long song. Uh, it's very gentle, repetitive, uh, quiet. Um, and when I say repetitive, I mean probably about every 15 to 30 seconds, the theme repeats. That lends me to the idea that this is background music for one of the scenes to kind of just give us the, the feel of how we should be relating to the people that are on stage at that point. And, this, and basically, this is the love theme for Rosalind and Orlando meeting. Makes sense. Any, any uh, I, I know, Michelle, you're like, I listened to the whole album. <laughs> No, that's fine. I'm listening to what you guys have to say and how you're breaking it down. I um I took it as one big piece, which was I enjoyed yeah. the experience. It was really cool to do it that way because that's not usually how I do it. Um, so I had a great time, and I'm happy to hear what you guys have to say. <laughs> I just don't want to make you feel like you're being left out. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> the bulk of my Did notes ever... are, are about the the uh, the songs with the vocals. So yeah. So I'll probably slide through a lot of these ones that are just the instrumentals. That leads us in into the song called Into Arden, mm-hmm. which has a slightly dark feel to it. This is the fight between Duke and Du Bois' oldest son, and it brings us from that scene, which is Duke and Du Bois fighting, into the angst of the lovers, and I I know that because there was an interview on CBC, and in watching that, they talk about how they're developing this song briefly, like 30 seconds, they talk about it, but they're, you know, this is one of those times that, and Tony was saying... Here's what I want. Here's the scene that we're breaking down. So this is the lead over from the Duke and Oliver into Rosalind and Orlando talking. I, this song reminded me of early Genesis, so specifically like Nursery Crime, which is a fantastic album that I love very dearly. The The tone of the guitar and the feel, there's this kind of English mythological folklore rock feel that's the best way i can put it which is appropriate interesting yeah i think it matches up once again we're talking whenever there's this dark music this not totally dark but just this this more dark music we're talking about the villains of the play so that leads us back into another song that actually has lyrics under the greenwood tree (laughs) come hither come hither come hither here shall he see no enemy now interestingly enough this is one of those songs that was covered by singers in the past so Mm -hmm. donovan Mm. 50s 60s singer did a cover of this song it is from act two scene five just to kind of set this up if you listen to the song um it's played as one piece on the album but i think that in the production it was actually split up into the parts because into each verse separately because in the play is written so it is split up by probably about a minute in between each verse uh by people talking on stage um and my guess is that the music just stopped in between or they just riff we call that vamping in jazz thank you yes um they probably just vamped 
on what they were doing until the next set of lines came up. So to kind of set this up, Amends has the first two verses where he's talking about the group in general. So mm. this is Amends and Jacquees talking about Duke Sr.'s group that has been exiled from the dukedom. They never mm-hmm. named the dukedom, but from the dukedom that's in France and into Ardennes. Amends is trying to elevate the morals and ethics of the group's decision to let go of the luxury and leisure of the dukedom life, the culture life that is uh, is city life, and go for pastoral life of simplicity. This is one of the themes that goes throughout this play, that pastoral life and city life, neither one is better, but they are just completely and separately different, and they are there are positives to both. And then you see that in the third vor- verse, and I think you would see it if it were actually put in the play, because you don't get it in the song, where Jacquees chides the group in his last group for giving up the wealth, calling them asses, and tell, you know, pointing out that they're stubborn and that they're refusing to stay where they where they have ambition, and he's they're shunning their ambition to just lie in the sun. This is that very sharp wit that Jacquees has throughout the play, where he's chiding everyone constantly, mm-hmm. and he's meant to be kind of the fool that's not the fool, but yeah. and he wants to be a fool, but he never does it in a way where people are accepting of it. I like this piece. I love the time signature. I'm a big fan of a lot of time signatures. Uh, anything divisible by three is usually right up my alley. This kind of reminded me of Disney's Robin Hood. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but this track kind of reminded me of like Disney's Robin Hood. And I mean that in a really good way. I love that movie. With the fox? Yeah. Aww. <laughs> Reminds me of the hen play. It was a chicken or a hen playing the guitar, yes, that's right? right, yeah. The- yeah. <laughs> so then we're back into instrumentals. I wrote nothing down about the next two instrumentals um, for some reason. So I'm just going to gloss over them really quickly. The next one is called The Party 2, which is a reprise of the earlier The Party, once again being introduced to Duke Frederick and being introduced to Oliver. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of a lot of that's kind of just getting us back into the feel of those two people. Yeah, it's a reprise, more or less, of the party, and it, both of these tracks are like thirty seconds. So I think that's probably why you don't have much written down for them. Banished is a lot more melancholy. That's the next one. Some beautiful strings in there. Mm-hmm. So banished. I thought the instrumentals through all of this were just lovely. Just really beautiful. Steven does an amazing job with composing this. Oh, yeah. And and the band does a great job with arranging this music. And, like, you can see that as much as Steven was kind of creating and and the head of creating the music, if you watch the CBC, it's it's only a 10-minute interview, but if you watch it, you can see the process where the guys were coming up and, and were kind of adding their pieces in to each of this. So it's it's great to kind of watch them doing that. And Banished, so you were kind of saying it has that kind of sad kind of sound to it, the melancholy sound. I believe I matched this up with when Orlando's uh, servant is dying in the woods and needs to be helped. So Orlando rushes out to go get him food because Adam is dying. Um, which is Act 2, Scene 6. So you can see that we're over halfway through the album, and we still haven't gotten to Act 3 yet. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> if that gives any kind of feel of how this play goes. Lots of setup. Yes. Because Act 5 is only two is only one, two, three, four pages long. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> yeah. It is not a typical setup for Shakespeare. He so. was over it by the time he gets to the end. He's like, yeah, whatever. Let's just get this done. <laughs> blah 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 the end. Oh, and it's rushed. It is very blah, blah, rushed. Blah. Oh, I've already wrote ten thousand words. Good, <laughs> let's finish this. <laughs> Literally, you hit the last four pages and you're like, oh, yeah, I got to do a wedding. Um, all right, Hyman's going to come in. We're going to do the wedding. Okay, and we're done. Exactly. Literally, the, 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 the play ends at the end of the wedding. <laughs> so it's very abrupt. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. Oh, yeah. And, and I, once again, I think Shakespeare did not do his best work because there's three, four characters that have almost the same name. And those are with the key characters. So we have Oliver, who's the oldest brother. And then we have the vicar who comes in to marry people is Oliver Monset. And so you're like, wait, Oliver, why is Oliver married? Oh, wait, no. (laughs) And then so then there's Jacquees, who's the, the kind of fool but not a fool, and a major character. Once again, Kevin Klein plays him in the movie. But then coming in literally on the last play page of the play is Jacques Du Bois, who is the the middle child of the Du Bois family. And you're like, wait, why did you? Did, that's and then Jacques talks with Jacques. So you're like, okay, it's not the same person. Wait, why did you do that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so was that like a like jab said, at the French? For having very few it, names. Everyone's named Jacques over there. Exactly. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> I think it was Shakespeare messing with people. That actually could it, very well have been the case. It feels it like could. that is what's true. It feels like it was him saying, oh, you think I'm so good? <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'll take your money. I'll write you a play. That's fine. So then we come to Blow Blow the Winter Wind. No. Tune. This is a gorgeous tune. Yeah. Go ahead, take it, Aaron. Well, I hear a little bit of Fleetwood Mac and maybe a little early Pink Floyd. Not Piper at the Gates of Dawn, early Pink Floyd, but like Obscured by Clouds, Pink Floyd. I got a definite English art rock vibe from this, which is interesting because the more I come to learn about Stephen Page and his musical sensibilities, I think he has some influences there. Uh, Big and I, time. I believe in an earlier episode I referred to As You Like It as sort of like the BNL equivalent to the final cut, uh, which if you aren't a big Pink Floyd fan, came right after The Wall and is sometimes thought of as more of a Roger Waters solo album than a Pink Floyd album. Uh, looking at all the production and arrangement credits and stuff, this definitely seems to be Steven's baby. So kind of an interesting parallel there between BNL and Pink Floyd, if you will. <laughs> I think this is when things started to change for Steven. It certainly seems to be. Well, this was the same yeah. summer. So you know, I mentioned in the last song that we did that 2005 was was one of those times when that was the album that he did and broke off and that was the last like they no longer did anything with anyone outside the group for what everything to everyone i think it was 2005 he goes out and does an outside album with steven duffy 2005 he does this 
2005. So I think this is one of those things that it was just a bunch of things kind of coming to a head where he was like, wait, I could do other stuff. Yeah, I think he was starting to feel his... I think he was starting to feel trapped. Yeah, I think he started getting to wanting to do a bunch of different stuff and, and seeing all the different stuff he could do. And then he got, as he will say, he got confused and conflicted about, well... What's a BNL tune? What's a private tune? What's what's an outside project? What's not an outside project? And he didn't like having that confusion. And the band will say, like, he, he left in 2009. 2008? 2009. But they had said it had been building for a while. Yeah. I, I think we're kind of seeing, the, you're right, Michelle, this is one of those factors that fed into that. In my memory, this is when he started to really do his own thing. Yeah. It's good stuff. Though. It's gorgeous. Sure. Oh yeah. So it's interesting. This is a slow, heavy song, but the scene is really happy that this is connected in with. So this this comes which is from classic Act Steven. I'm sorry to talk over you, <laughs> but it's like that's why we love him because that's, that's what he does. You yeah. know, there's this dark music, but there's this happy, or vice versa. There's this. It sounds happy, but it's not. Like just pay attention. You have to pay attention, and you can see all the layers of what's happening. Nothing meets, nothing is as it meets the eye. Right. Well, and it goes with the words for this song, you know, amends is singing about how, how friends are feigning and how love loving is a mere folly. And they're singing basically about how, if you break it down, this song is talking about how winter winds, harsh winter winds are not as harsh as pet per people who pretend to be fake and, and gracious and pretend to be your friends, but they're not. Um, and I think the music kind of matches up with that, but contradicts what's supposed to be at the scene, which is a scene act two, scene seven where Orlando has just entered the group, found the group, the Duke has just saved his servant. And so it's this very complex scene. It matches it really well, but it's very contradictory. So then we come to one of my one of my other favorites on this. I, I love all the ones that, like you guys have mentioned, that have verses to them. I love this song though. Come, sweet Audrey. Oh no, wait, sorry. There is one in between. It was an instrumental. Orlando's poems. Um, Orlando's poems. <laughs> Which, I, it doesn't take much. So this is the part where Orlando's going around and he's posting poems. Rosalind finds them. They recite some of the poems. So this is kind of setting that up and going from or from Duke Ferdinand beating up Oliver and sending him out into, the, into Arden to find his brother. This is the reset interlude to bring us back to Orlando and help us feel connected to Orlando again. And that's act three going between scene one and scene two. So then we come to Sweet Audrey. Come Sweet Audrey, which is act three, scene three, and is Touchstone. It's very happy, very cheerful. Touchstone is singing this song. Uh, he's the court jester in the wilderness, and jesters, at least to Shakespeare, were as much wise men as they were jokers. In a lot of his plays, he's the people that we look to for wisdom, and they usually provide that, as well as extensive vocabulary. Touchstone is lusting after a simple goat herder, Audrey, who is simple of word but wise with common sense, while Touchstone is very wise in the ways of the court world, 
but not very smart common sense wise. So she won't sleep with him unless they marry. Oliver is the vicar. Once again, this is where it gets confusing. Oliver, the vicar, coming in to marry them. He plans on marrying her by vicar instead of by proper priest, so he can just say, oh, but it wasn't a proper marriage after they <laughs> the had annulment. sex. Yeah. This is basically Shakespeare's version of um, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> and so he's saying this to himself and to the audience, like, I'll marry her and then divorce her because it won't be a proper marriage. Wow. But Jacquees enters in, and he sees what's going on, so he paints the picture for Audrey, pointing out to Audrey what what Touchstone is really up to, but in a way that's supposedly kind of nice. But he, So he's saying it to Touchstone, but for Audrey's benefit. Yeah. That, oh, you can't marry her by a vicar. You gotta do it properly. It, it like, <laughs> giving her the heads up. And Touchstone is then telling, basically the song is Touchstone saying to Audrey, oh, no, 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 we're not going to get married. We'll do it the proper way. Oliver, go away. Yeah. yeah. So that's what that's what this song is really about. Um, but it's a nice, happy tune, which is funny considering what's kind of going on with the play at that time. So then we come to They Shall Marry Tomorrow. The line is actually, this is the part where it gets kind of confusing. I don't know what Stephen was doing or what the director was doing with the play at this point. The line is from Act 5, Scene 2, but there's no way that this lines up with Act 5, Scene 2 at this point because there's a huge gap in music there. So I'm not sure why the title of the song shows up before Deer Song, which is Act 4, Scene 2. Here's what I'm thinking. Perhaps it was a scene change from Act 4, Scene 1 to Scene 2 when Celia is saying that she's that she's going to sleep and and Rosalind is waiting for her lover to return. But I almost think that perhaps Deer Song was moved to later in the play, to just before the wedding, and giving the group another reason to be hunting a deer. So I almost think that this song was in its right place at Act 5, Scene 2, with that line, but they moved Deer Song to later on. Because Deer Song is lined up with it. Act 4, Scene 2 is literally a half a page scene. And it has nothing to do with the play. It has everything to do with the fact that Jacquees has this underlying thing where he hates hunting deer. So I'll transition now into deer song here. The horn, the horn, the lusty horn Is not a thing to laugh to scorn The horn, the horn, the horn, the horn Is not a thing to laugh, is not a thing to scorn <laughs> This one made me laugh. Act, so deer song it goes back to this theme that Jacquees hates the fact that they're hunting deer out in the wild because they've been banished from their home and they're entering the deer's home and killing the deer in their home and he's like that's kind of like ironic and wrong which is where you get this very ironic song from Jacquees mm -hmm. he leads into it telling them that this guy's just shot this deer he's like let's do this merry dance back to the group and let's go celebrate to the king but it is meant to be completely sarcastic and the group takes it and they play this really playful anthem as they go back. I don't think that they pick up on his sarcasm and they take it seriously. And it's a very playful tune and happy tune about killing this deer. The other thing about this, this part of the song is it has a double meaning. So 
you know, today we would think that this song is all about deer and deer hunting and putting horns literally on top of our head. <laughs> Anyone that knows Shakespeare, though, knows that horns did not represent horns back in Shakespeare's time. Horns stood for cuckoldry. I know I'm mispronouncing that. It didn't come out right. But so basically being a cuckold is, is being a, an adulterer. And people, when they got caught of it, if their wives caught them, would put horns up to kind of tell them, I've caught you. And this is the men kind of singing this song about, song about him putting horns on his head and the how horn, the horn, the lusty it horn. is some <laughs> horn, horn, the lusty horns. It's not about trumpets. It's not about no, was pretty deer obvious. horns. This is where we see Shakespeare's <laughs> earthiness and sense of humor, which we had kind of talked about before the, the podcast started. You know, he was definitely a man of the people. And, he, you know, what we see him as this lofty, high poet. And he was certainly a brilliant man. Uh, or potentially, depending on uh, what theory you believe, multiple men and or women. <laughs> but um, <laughs> certainly some brilliant poetry and some brilliant uh, playwrights here. But uh, yeah, they definitely they're, did not shy away from crude humor, did not shy away from uh, those kind of topics with you know, debauchery and such. Um, you know what this song reminded me of, Tracy? What? King Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. Really made me think of Robert in his, like, hunting getup. And he got gored by a boar. And his swarthy ways. Yep. He certainly liked to visit with the ladies, oh, yeah. that's for sure. Wenching. So that matches hunting up in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see I could see a music video now in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Hyman's Wedding. Um, so Hyman's Wedding, once again, is off where it belongs in the play. So it's it's written into the play at Act 5, Scene 4, which is the wedding. So it sounds like an interlude. It's a very long song. It's an interlude and background for Act 5, Scene 4, which is the wedding. Um, I guess it's, a, it's an instrumental that is meant to back the entrance of Hyman, who is the goddess, or sorry, sorry, the god of weddings. And he, inst- this is where I'm like, Shakespeare just threw the ending in real quick. Hyman, the god of weddings, suddenly shows up, marries all four of them, says, sing a song and you'll know everything that's going on. They sing this song and then exit and show over <laughs> in two pages. <laughs> so, <laughs> once again... Sure, sure that Hyman's not the god of deus ex machina? <laughs> so, uh, this song is basically honoring Hyman. It's the all of the people that are in the wedding honoring Hyman and mm. saying that Hyman is the god of all towns because all towns are based on marriage because all people that are married then have kids and that's what makes a town up. So therefore, Hyman is the god of all towns. High honor and renown to Hyman, god of every town. Okay. Is basically what the song is about. Um, it's a very fun song. I love. Yeah, it. I like this one. Uh, so lots of harmony. Yeah, that's what I liked about it so much. Uh, this reminded me a little bit of late Beatles meets early Genesis. Uh, high praise indeed, in my opinion. I think 
the late Beatles, I was probably getting that from the sitar and the ambient opening. And the yeah. early Genesis, I think, is from, again, that kind of English folk myth. There's almost a Wicker Man feel about mm. this tune. And you I, know what? You're right. Yeah. Yes. When I say Wicker Man, I'm not talking about the Nicolas Cage remake, kids. <laughs> no. no. I'm talking about You're the original talking about Wicker the original. Man with Christopher Dracula Lee yes. himself, way before yes. he was known for being Count Dooku in Star Wars. <laughs> the Wicker Man is actually a horror musical, if you can believe that, and it is genuinely disturbing. It's awesome. And the music is beautiful and eerie at the same time. Uh, early Genesis sounds kind totally of like that. disturbing. And so does this. Yeah, totally are... disturbing. When when the Nicolas Cage remake came <laughs> oh, out, I, was so I did not. Well, I did not want to see that because I'm like, I'm still scarred <laughs> from seeing the first one like 15 oh, years terrifying. ago. I can't it's do terrifying. this. But then, of course, I did see it, and I'm like, this is. Oh, it, hit, it was terrifying for his, a whole new yeah, reason. His version, the, the remake is terrifying <laughs> just because of how god awful it is. But there are some beautiful <laughs> guitar runs in this sound. Oh, that sound so like something beautiful. coming off of Nursery Crime, again, which is a great album. And, so, the, and like you said, the vocal harmonies were just oh, lovely. They're gorgeous, yeah. Lovely. So I'm going to put this out there. And once I thought of it, I could not hear it any other way. So I know that like I might be warping your brains to hearing it only this way now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It almost sounds like Cosby, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were saying Cosby, Stills, Nash and Cosby. Young. No, that was me mispronouncing. You see, the thing is, with the country music. <laughs> wow, can I even make a Cosby joke anymore? That's, that should be off limits. You can't. I Don't do it. Myself there. Stay away from it, Aaron. The, the Don't see touch that. The spoon and the pudding. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, that ties in with the whole I'll marry her and then I'll divorce her. Like that's the Cosby version of Shakespeare. Well, I, I want to say something. I realize that so much of what I have to say is like comparison to other bands, uh, but I can't help it. I've heard so much music that everything sounds like something else to me. And uh-huh. I don't mean that in an everything's been done. Nothing is original. Everything is derivative kind of way. I just have so much music in my head. Everything kind of overlaps with something except maybe John Cage. Or Aphex Twin. But, I mean, other than a few very notable exceptions, uh, you know, there's always kind of be some crossover. And, I you know, influences. Like, I think I think I can hear some of Steven's influences. And there are bands which Big I time. very much love as well. So, hearing this, to me, was really cool. And, I actually, this makes me want to seek out some of his solo stuff, which I haven't heard, like, anything of. I don't really think so. Um, maybe you guys can help guide me in that direction. I will definitely guide you in that direction. I've been listening cool. to more of Steve's solo stuff lately, so very cool. So I want to wind this up a little bit quickly here because we are we are running really long yeah. with this tonight. Um, but we're doing a whole album, so yeah, you know, understood. True, true. So we're we're down to the last two songs. Really, the last song here, which is it was a lover in his last, which is a reprise. Mm-hmm. This once again, I think that this is out of out of order. Um, it's not where it belongs if you look at Hyman's Wedding, because it's supposed to come before Hyman's Wedding. So I think this is supposed to be just kind of a summation of what's happened in the play altogether and follow up and then followed by Curtain Call. So it's your bookends to the play to sum up what the play is going to be and what it is or was. So um, I also, I don't know, it's possible, but I wonder if they cut this out because of the harsh attack that Jacquees gives the singers just prior to this song. We don't hear it in the song. We don't hear it. it comes before and after the song. But Jacquees comes in and he says that it's out of time, it's out of tomb, and you've wasted my time for, for playing this. 
I almost feel like the director, probably not Steve, because I don't think I could ever see Steve in the band saying, no, you can't you can't do that. That's not funny. <laughs> I could see an, a director saying, hey, we asked you to come do this. We're not going to make fun of you in this way. So we're, we're going to we're just going to move this and cut that part out of the scene. Um, I don't know, because I obviously can't get a copy or, or any kind of recording of this um, of this play. Um, but it does not belong where they put it in the album. And as a reprise, I also don't think they, I think it was at the end of the show. Um, so I, I think if they left it out, it is a huge folly because that the joke is hilarious. So I would, I would like to, if you have a minute there and I'd like to run the scene through real quick. Sure. It's only a couple lines and I'll post in, I'm going to, I'm going to cut in the song right here and then we're going to follow it up with the lines that follow. If you can be first page. Therefore, take the present time with the hey and a ho and a hey dolly no. The love is crowded with the prime. It's springtime, the only pretty ringtime. Truly, young gentlemen, though there was no great matter in the ditty, yet the note was very untunable. You are deceived, sir. We kept time. We lost not our time. By my troth, yes, I counted, but time lost to hear such a foolish song. Goodbye, you, and God mend your voices. So it's a really great joke on on the singing of this song, which is a wonderful song and sums up the whole show. <laughs> and I think it's... Um, I wish that they, I hope that they kept it in because I know when I was just reading it and usually I don't laugh at reading Shakespeare. I wait and, and when I see it, I laugh. I laughed out loud reading those lines and I really hope that they were in there. I can't not read. You were deceived, sir. We kept time. We lost not our time. <laughs> I can't not read Shakespeare totally over the top. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just, you know. That's just doing it right. That, exactly. That's what Louis Shakespeare was meant to be. So that brings us to the end of the album. Like, that's... that's They have the curtain call. Once again, it's just instrumental. It is a very long instrumental, so I think that's appropriate for a curtain call. And I think, once again, it's beautiful music uh, written by Stephen. I wish I had been able to see this play. Yeah, um, me too. I, I heard some cutting, cutting remarks, um, critics that went to go see it. Either way, it's Shakespeare, and it was mashed with Bare Naked Ladies. Like, I would have loved it. And if anyone out there does have a copy of this album, please send me it. I would love to have it. Although, I'm, I am I did find a way to download it online and get a copy of it. So, not not just with what you gave me, Aaron, but with another, another website, I was able to download the entire album as well as the entire Buck Naked album. So, I'm, I'm having a thrilling week. I do not know of such <laughs> things, nor would I be at liberty to discuss such things if I do not know of such things. <laughs> la 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 yeah. la la. Me me me. Rhubarb Indeed. So, any finishing thoughts as we end up here? A ring a ding a ding a ding. I just have a quick comment, and that is, I'm so surprised at how much I loved this, and I just feel like. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much had I heard it back in 2005, but I absolutely love it now. And I feel like it's exactly what I need from the bare naked ladies right now. So this is definitely going on my repeat playlist. Even if I have to listen to it on YouTube, it's <laughs> so good. Yeah. I, I feel exactly the same way. This is especially there are standout songs to me. 
but you know, overall, as a whole, it's just it's really really pleasant to listen to, uh, and I, yes. I really wish that I, as you guys say, I wish I wish that I've been able to see the live production because I'm sure that was something pretty special. I am sad that the following year, I believe it was so it was Stephen all by himself. The Bear BNL did not help out with any of the arrangement for the next year. Mm-hmm. Stephen did it with another show the next year as well. Oh wow! Yes. I, want to say it was Bartholomew's Fair, although it could have been Coriolanus, and then Bartholomew's Fair was the year after this. Um, whichever one it was, this once again in Stephen's interview on QTV, this was one of those things where he mentioned the fact that it led to the breakup because he, I want to say it was Coriolanus, then Barth- Bartholomew's Fair, because he said that he did the music for Bartholomew's Fair, they had just written an album, he had to go back out on the road, and he never got to see the show, he never got to see, to actually watch them do their their up week, and he's like, I didn't like being able to split myself that way. So another thing that kind of made him feel like, I have to put my all into whatever I'm doing at the time. Um, but they never recorded it. Like, I, I looked for those albums, I was hoping that they did the same thing with those plays that they did for this, and they did not. Um, and it makes me sad because this was beautiful. Agreed. Indeed. So there's no appearances this week. We are running long. Tonight was the first night that we didn't have Bobby. <laughs> Single man tear. Bobby! Oh, you're tearing me apart, Bobby. <laughs> and we so, kept the name, though. Yes. We're keeping the name. We're keeping the name. That's right. Deal with it, Bobby. Sue us. So I have a question for you guys. Oh. Yes. Should we forget him and never bring him to mind? <laughs> no, no, no. 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 Oh. Because we love well, him. Well, you, this week's this song like discusses Go ahead. <laughs> well, this week's song we discussed in old English. Yeah. So I'm gonna answer my question in old Scottish. And Shiri oh, no I'm not. I'm not gonna <laughs> mess that up. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that we're gonna we're gonna Ooh, hold up works. a cup of kindness for my friend. <laughs> yes. And that brings us to Old Lang Syne, which is next week's song. Alrighty. So Yay. until then, keep us in your memory. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun uh, listening to this and discussing it with you, and uh, I look forward to uh, next week. Hey, do we want to do ratings? Oh yeah. Oh, let's do ratings. So. I think we can rate the album as a whole. Yeah. I think if we sat here and tried to rate each oh, yeah. song, then it would no, be... No, we're not doing each song. We're doing the album no, as a whole. No, no, let's not do that. And, and we probably won't... Like, we can... Let's just put it in there as the whole album. All right. Yeah, that's <clears throat> what I did. All right. And we're so... giving it... We're rating it by Stratford on Avon's. <laughs> oh. Use Stratford, Ontario. Because that's that I just well know, but Stratford on Avon is what I always think of when I think of Shakespeare. Like those are <laughs> entwined and, and then I heard the Stratford tie-in and I said, you know what, that's what we're doing. So I don't care. <laughs> I'll start. I I give this album a four point five. It's great. I love it for now. It's it's my bare naked ladies for the twenty for the present 17s or whatever year this is <laughs> aaron, aaron yeah. what do you give it? i also really really like this i give it four stratford ontarios <laughs> Ooh, you rebel worst case ontario Red. and i am gonna give it four stratford yeah von nice highly rated 
Yes, for... this is going to be uh, so... up there with like A and Alternative Girlfriend and Alcohol. Oh yeah, like this is an amazing album. Since we um, only have three of us for this one, I think I'm going to work on the ratings this week, and I'm going to—I have the total scores as total scores. I'm going to do, do averages means. that yeah, way. We it's can do still. Averages. Yeah, exactly. So I'll work on that. I'm not doing it right now, but I'll work on that this week. So when we meet next, we'll have cool. a new score sheet that <laughs> will be the same but different. Because it's going to get really Thanks. interesting once Bobby comes back once in a well, while. Well, I was going to say, that means right. if we have guests, we can have the guest weigh in and give a rating too. Exactly. Then the guests vote, because I've kept track of the guest votes, but I haven't counted them. Now I'm yeah. going to count them in. So cool. everybody, everybody's voice is heard and listened to cool. and accounted for. That's right. All right, guys. Well, I hate, to, right. I hate to run, but I got to go. It's uh, nope. getting pretty late here. So thank you it's so much. Midnight. Have a good night. <laughs> In editing this episode, I noticed that we're missing the review for two of the songs that were at the very beginning. Uh, they are on the album, the fight song, and also the wrestling. Uh, we did not review those two. So uh, we're not going to add on a review at this point, but I do want to uh, add in snippets of those songs here uh, with about five seconds in between the two songs the first will be uh the wrestling the second will be the fight song and if you want to get full examples of all of these songs then please look in the liner notes for this episode and we will have the post for the youtube page where you can find this album It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.